Part three, section twenty four of the Maine Woods by Henry David Thoreau. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Part three, the Allegash and East Branch, section twenty four. Having paddled several miles up the Umbazookskus, it suddenly contracted to a mere brook, narrow and swift the larches and other trees approaching the bank and leaving no open meadow and we landed to get a black spruce pole for pushing against the stream this was the first occasion for one the one selected was quite slender cut about ten feet long merely whittled to a point and the bark shaved off the stream though narrow and swift was still deep with a muddy bottom as i proved by diving to it beside the plants which i have mentioned i observed on the bank here the salix cordata and rostrata ranunculus recurvatus and rubus triflorus with ripe fruit while we were thus employed two indians in a canoe hove in sight round the bushes coming downstream our indian knew one of them an old man and fell into conversation with him in indian he belonged at the foot of moosehead the other was of another tribe they were returning from hunting i asked the younger if they had seen any moose to which he said no but i seeing the moose hides sticking out from a great bundle made with their blankets in the middle of the canoe added only their hides as he was a foreigner he may have wished to deceive me for it is against the law for white men and foreigners to kill moose in maine at this season but perhaps he need not have been alarmed for the moose wardens are not very particular i heard quite directly of one who being asked by a white man going into the woods what he would say if he killed a moose answered if you bring me a quarter of it i guess you won't be troubled his duty being as he said only to prevent the indiscriminate slaughter of them for their hides i suppose that he would consider it an indiscriminate slaughter when a quarter was not reserved for himself such are the perquisites of this office we continued along through the most extensive larch wood which i had seen tall and slender trees with fantastic branches but though this was the prevailing tree here i do not remember that we saw any afterward you do not find straggling trees of this species here and there throughout the wood but rather a little forest of them the same is the case with the white and red pines and some other trees greatly to the convenience of the lumberer they are of a social habit growing in veins clumps groups or communities as the explorers call them distinguishing them far away from the top of a hill or a tree the white pines towering above the surrounding forest or else they form extensive forests by themselves i should have liked to come across a large community of pines which had never been invaded by the lumbering army we saw some fresh moose tracks along the shore but the indians said that the moose were not driven out of the woods by the flies as usual at this season on account of the abundance of water everywhere the stream was only from one and one-half to three rods wide quite winding with occasional small islands meadows and some very swift and shallow places when we came to an island the indian never hesitated which side to take as if the current told him which was the shortest and deepest it was lucky for us that the water was so high we had to walk but once on this stream carrying a part of the load at a swift and shallow reach while he got up with the canoe not being obliged to take out though he said it was very strong water once or twice we passed the red wreck of a bateau which had been stove some spring 
while making this portage i saw many splendid specimens of the great purple fringed orchis three feet high it is remarkable that such delicate flowers should here adorn these wilderness paths having resumed our seats in the canoe i felt the indian wiping my back which he had accidentally spat upon he said it was a sign that i was going to be married the umbazookskus river is called ten miles long having poled up the narrowest part some three or four miles the next opening in the sky was over umbazookskus lake which we suddenly entered about eleven o'clock in the forenoon it stretches northwesterly four or five miles with what the indian called the kokongamok mountain seen far beyond it it was an agreeable change this lake was very shallow a long distance from the shore and i saw stone heaps on the bottom like those in the assabet at home the canoe ran into one the indian thought that they were made by an eel joe Etion in eighteen fifty three thought that they were made by chub we crossed the southeast end of the lake to the carry into mud pond umbazookskus lake is the head of the penobscot in this direction and mud pond is the nearest head of the allegash one of the chief sources of the st john hodge who went through this way to the st lawrence in the service of the state calls the portage here a mile and three-quarters long and states that mud pond has been found to be fourteen feet higher than umbazookskus lake as the west branch of the penobscot at the moosehead carry is considered about twenty-five feet lower than moosehead lake it appears that the penobscot in the upper part of its course runs in a broad and shallow valley between the kennebec and st john and lower than either of them though judging from the map you might expect it to be the highest mud pond is about halfway from umbazookskus to chamberlain lake into which it empties and to which we were bound the indians said that this was the wettest carry in the state and as the season was a very wet one we anticipated an unpleasant walk as usual he made one large bundle of the pork keg cooking utensils and other loose traps by tying them up in his blanket we should be obliged to go over the carry twice and our method was to carry one half part way and then go back for the rest our path ran close by the door of a log hut in a clearing at this end of the carry which the indian who alone entered it found to be occupied by a canadian and his family and that the man had been blind for a year he seemed peculiarly unfortunate to be taken blind there where there were so few eyes to see for him he could not even be led out of that country by a dog but must be taken down the rapids as passively as a barrel of flour this was the first house above chesuncook and the last on the penobscot waters and was built here no doubt because it was the route of the lumberers in the winter and spring after a slight ascent from the lake through the springy soil of the canadian's clearing we entered on a level and very wet and rocky path through the universal dense evergreen forest a loosely paved gutter merely where we went leaping from rock to rock and from side to side in the vain attempt to keep out of the water and mud we concluded that it was yet penobscot water though there was no flow to it it was on this carry that the white hunter whom i met in the stage as he told me had shot two bears a few months before they stood directly in the path and did not turn out for him they might be excused for not turning out there or only taking the right as the law directs he said that at this season bears were found on the mountains and hillsides in search of berries and were apt to be saucy that we might come across them up trout stream and he added what i hardly credited that many indians slept in their canoes 
not daring to sleep on land on account of them here commences what was called twenty years ago the best timberland in the state this very spot was described as covered with the greatest abundance of pine but now this appeared to me comparatively an uncommon tree there and yet you did not see where any more could have stood amid the dense growth of cedar fir etc it was then proposed to cut a canal from lake to lake here but the outlet was finally made farther east at telos lake as we shall see the indian with his canoe soon disappeared before us but ere long he came back and told us to take a path which turned off westward it being better walking and at my suggestion he agreed to leave a bow in the regular carry at that place that we might not pass it by mistake thereafter he said we were to keep the main path and he added you see em my tracks but i had not much faith that we could distinguish his tracks since others had passed over the carry within a few days we turned off at the right place but were soon confused by numerous logging paths coming into the one we were on by which lumberers had been to pick out those pines which i have mentioned however we kept what we considered the main path though it was a winding one and in this at long intervals we distinguished a faint trace of a footstep this though comparatively unworn was at first a better or at least a drier road than the regular carry which we had left it led through an arbor vitae wilderness of the grimmest character the great fallen and rotting trees had been cut through and rolled aside and their huge trunks abutted on the path on each side while others still lay across it two or three feet high it was impossible for us to discern the indian's trail in the elastic moss which like a thick carpet covered every rock and fallen tree as well as the earth nevertheless i did occasionally detect the track of a man and i gave myself some credit for it i carried my whole load at once a heavy knapsack and a large india rubber bag containing our bread and a blanket swung on a paddle in all about sixty pounds but my companion preferred to make two journeys by short stages while i waited for him we could not be sure that we were not depositing our loads each time farther off from the true path as i sat waiting for my companion he would seem to be gone a long time and i had ample opportunity to make observations on the forest i now first began to be seriously molested by the black fly a very small but perfectly formed fly of that colour about one-tenth of an inch long which i first felt and then saw in swarms about me as i sat by a wider and more than usually doubtful fork in this dark forest path the hunters tell bloody stories about them how they settle in a ring about your neck before you know it and are wiped off in great numbers with your blood but remembering that i had a wash in my knapsack prepared by a thoughtful hand in bangor i made haste to apply it to my face and hands and was glad to find it effectual as long as it was fresh or for twenty minutes not only against black flies but all the insects that molested us they would not alight on the part thus defended it was composed of sweet oil and oil of turpentine with a little oil of spearmint and camphor however i finally concluded that the remedy was worse than the disease it was so disagreeable and inconvenient to have your face and hands covered with such a mixture three large slate-coloured birds of the jay genus garrulus canadensis the canada jay moose-bird meat-bird or what not came flitting silently and by degrees toward me and hopped down the limbs inquisitively to within seven or eight feet they were more clumsy and not nearly so handsome as the blue jay fish-hawks from the lake 
uttered their sharp whistling notes low over the top of the forest near me as if they were anxious about a nest there after i had sat there some time i noticed at this fork in the path a tree which had been blazed and the letters chamb lake written on it with red chalk this i knew to mean chamberlain lake so i concluded that on the whole we were on the right course though as we had come nearly two miles and saw no signs of mud pond i did harbour the suspicion that we might be on a direct course to chamberlain lake leaving out mud pond this i found by my map would be about five miles northeasterly and i then took the bearing by my compass my companion having returned with his bag and also defended his face and hands with the insect wash we set forward again the walking rapidly grew worse and the path more indistinct and at length after passing through a patch of calapalustris still abundantly in bloom we found ourselves in a more open and regular swamp made less passable than ordinary by the unusual wetness of the season we sank a foot deep in water and mud at every step and sometimes up to our knees and the trail was almost obliterated being no more than that a musquash leaves in similar places when he parts the floating sedge in fact it probably was a musquash trail in some places we concluded that if mud pond was as muddy as the approach to it was wet it certainly deserved its name it would have been amusing to behold the dogged and deliberate pace at which we entered that swamp without interchanging a word as if determined to go through it though it should come up to our necks having penetrated a considerable distance into this and found a tussock on which we could deposit our loads though there was no place to sit my companion went back for the rest of his pack i had thought to observe on this carry when we crossed the dividing line between the penobscot and st john but as my feet had hardly been out of water the whole distance and it was all level and stagnant i began to despair of finding it i remembered hearing a good deal about the highlands dividing the waters of the penobscot from those of the st john as well as the st lawrence at the time of the northeast boundary dispute and i observed by my map that the line claimed by great britain as the boundary prior to eighteen forty two passed between umbazookskus lake and mud pond so that we had either crossed or were then on it these then according to her interpretation of the treaty of eighty three were the highlands which divide those rivers that empty themselves into the st lawrence from those which fall into the atlantic ocean truly an interesting spot to stand on if that were it though you could not sit down there i thought that if the commissioners themselves and the king of holland with them had spent a few days here with their packs upon their backs looking for that highland they would have had an interesting time and perhaps it would have modified their views of the question somewhat the king of holland would have been in his element such were my meditations while my companion was gone back for his bag it was a cedar swamp through which the peculiar note of the white-throated sparrow rang loud and clear there grew the side saddle flower labrador tea calmia glauca and what was new to me the low birch betula pumilla a little round-leafed shrub two or three feet high only we thought to name this swamp after the latter after a long while my companion came back and the indian with him we had taken the wrong road and the indian had lost us he had very wisely gone back to the canadian's camp and asked him which way we had probably gone since he could better understand the ways of white men and he told him correctly that we had undoubtedly taken the supply road to chamberlain lake slender supplies they would get over such a road at this season the indian was greatly surprised that we should have taken what he called a tow 
that is a tote or toting or supply road instead of a carry path that we had not followed his tracks said it was strange and evidently thought little of our woodcraft end of part three section twenty four recording by expatriate in bangor maine